Frank, 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 today I want to talk about the hottest topic that everybody is talking about. Not the heat index in your local city, state, or country, but performance, performance, performance that developers, developers, developers care about, Frank. But before that, can we get a drone update, Frank? What's the situation? (laughs) Did you just make light of a very hot situation out here? I'm melting, Mm -hmm. James. That's the drone situation. No, uh, I did. I wanted to give an update to everyone, if anyone cares. (laughs) My pixie drone has yet to be found. James. I went on a fun swim, though, for my birthday. Went for a swim to try to find the drone. Even bought a snorkel. Went snorkeling. Did my underwater little... Got my badge. My little scout badge. uh, But didn't come up with a drone no drone it's it's in like a really deep part but i got to swim for a while that was fun oh that's nice and that way you stayed cool stayed cool in fact the water's a little chilly especially deep down where the drone is look i'm not giving up this mission either though we are continuing the drone mission um you know probably for the next year until i finally give up on it or at least when the weather starts getting cool again that's when i'll give up on finding the drone but until then it's still not lost it's just misplaced because here's the thing about the drone it's out there frank Mm. it's it's there somewhere i don't think it disintegrated i don't think in fish ate it so it's there the plants ate it I'm, I'm gonna blame the plants but um yeah it's there and look this is just my civic duty of ridding the canal of garbage so i i left some garbage in it i unintentionally littered i gotta go find it the big question is will i get a scuba license out of this <laughs> or will i you know hire a salvage team for two thousand dollars to go find my 200 hour drone no that probably won't happen but I might start looking into the scuba certification. I like that. Scuba certification would be super cool. I have a lot of friends at scuba. And then, yeah, you could just be down there for a long, long time. I like it. Well, keep us up to date as the drone exploration continues. I've been so scared. I haven't even removed it from my (laughs) office. So it just sits there. It's looking for, I'm too worried that it's going to melt, not not stink. It's going to melt in this heat. Well, it's, it's bright colored. It reflects a little. I mean, everything's melting in this heat. I can't believe my computers are still functioning, honestly. <laughs> I'm not functioning, but somehow the computers are trooping on. I was kind of hoping they would just turn themselves off, but no. I like it. Uh, okay, well, today, Frank, I want to talk about performance because I have a lot of things Ooh. on my chest in and around this, not only about graphics and frameworks, but I want to talk about CPUs as well. But before we do, let's kick it off with our amazing sponsor because it's a new month. It's Syncfusion. Yes, you know you love Syncfusion because I love them as well. Syncfusion gives you hundreds of the world's best UI components for all of your web, desktop, and mobile applications. No matter what you're building, they have something absolutely spectacular for you. Blazor, Flutter, ASP.NET Core, JavaScript, Angular, React, Vue, .NET MAUI. Did I already say that? I might have Xamarin, UWP, JavaScript, WinForms, WPF, WinUI. All the things, they got all amazing charts, graphs, controls, widgets, thingies, all these other things, including my favorite bit and piece, file formats, including Excel, PDF, Word, and PowerPoint, and viewers, and all of this super rad stuff. You got to check out the brand new controls for all these amazing platforms by going to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. That is syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. Thanks, Syncfusion, for sponsoring this week's pod thank you sync fusion and that is an amazing list i i I know you went fast but that was fun 
all, all the different uh, platforms they support. Pretty impressive. It's impressive, I got to say. Um, all right. Here's where this entire thing comes from. There's two parts. Part one, Frank, I want to talk about the M2 because it immediately, <laughs> I, no, I know what you're saying. I don't, I, I've, I've heard the rumors, James. I've heard the rumors. Okay, please continue. I want to talk about the M2 because if you've watched or listened any review, they talk about perf and Apple talks about perf, especially here. Now I have an M1 MacBook Air. As of Frank, we did not get the Pro or the Max or all these other things, although I think those are faster. When it comes to M2, there's all these charts, all these graphs, how fast it is. But what I'm hearing when it comes to real world, and this is where I think it gets important from a developer perspective later on in this conversation, is real world usage. Because what Apple tells you what all the other companies, what the Googles, the Microsofts, the Lenovo's, all these companies, the Intel's, the AMD's are these benchmarks, right? They finally craft and tune and do different things right here and there. And they set off to attempt to, you know, make sure that they have these real world tests, real world in quotes here, these performance benchmarks that are, that are going off and can measure things. So you can run the same benchmark against the M1 versus the M2 versus the Max versus the Pro. And this is the same thing that we've done in graphics cards forever. We've had these benchmarkers that do all these things, cell phones, same thing. And there's all these numbers, Frank. And when I heard about the M2, heard about the new MacBook Air, which is a beautiful redesign, which I was more excited about, what it came down to, what I have heard is real world practice that yes, it's a little bit faster, but it's not like it's revolutionary faster from going from an M1 to an M2 because the app, you know, applications, the models, all the other things, right? In general, it's kind of similar in a way. Hmm. Even Bag though you have all these, you have all <laughs> these benchmarks, all these things telling you all the other things, but real world, right? So are we all mm-hmm. sitting there rasterizing videos all day? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or what are we doing? I'm recording Zencaster and I have like five tabs open. Yeah. Real world performance, I feel like plateaued somewhere around 2005. I feel like everything still runs at roughly about the same speed it always has. Yeah, the video definition's gotten a little better. Maybe the music quality is a little better. There's more pixels on my screen, but apps roughly go about the same speed as they did in 2005. <laughs> so when we get into real world, that's why I said bag of worms. Like that, that's a whole, ugh, we could say a million things about that. I want to go way back to what you were saying about the reasons to create benchmarks. There's a lot of reasons to create benchmarks. If you are a good company, you create benchmarks that represent your user scenarios and you optimize those. That's so that you can be good, honest engineers and make sure that you're working on the problems that your customers actually face. That's the good kind of benchmark. And then there's the other terrible ones, the industry benchmarks, which Mm. are you have to run your software through industry benchmarks so that you can compare your product to other people's products. And you don't want to do it, but you have to do it. And then you get into that ugly cycle of the engineers are optimizing for the industry benchmarks instead of your internal benchmarks. Uh, But you have to do that because the salespeople say you have to do that because, you know, our our sales are down this quarter. 
So you got all those pressures. And then you have the third kind of wonderful benchmark, which is I want to attack a competitor benchmark. (laughs) And this is the, oh, look, my platform's really good at this one thing. I'm going to invent a new benchmark and I'm going to show how all these other things, uh, these different products, different skateboards, different pieces of software, uh, see how all they compare against this benchmark that really only privileges me. So those are all the terrible reasons to create benchmarks. And that's all a lighting the real world and that's the hardest benchmark of all of them because we all don't know what we're talking about when we say the real world yeah coming from a developer perspective you know one of my favorite benchmarks would be like benchmark.net so benchmark.net.org tool um, tool benchmark the tool. tool yeah, yeah. so it's a it's a dotnet library for benchmarking and this is actually adopted by the runtime and about seven thousand dotnet projects <laughs> and and this is good because what you're attempting to do is benchmark your own library. So Frank puts out SQLite-net. He's doing all this code. What he would do is he could create a benchmark, run the benchmark, and say, with different versions of .NET, but also as he's upgrading, you know, SQLite-net, what is the the ratio? What is the performance, the mean, the ups and downs based on as he's adding new features or making changes here and there, right? Because there's also performance. He could have the same code. The performance implications might be different on .NET 5 versus .NET 6 versus .NET 7 because all of those have different improvements and he could tweak and tune and do these things. So if Frank's just trying to finally optimize and tune his library, he may decide to go with a testing or a, a benchmarking library such as this just so he makes sure that he's writing tight performance code. Have you ever done this in your applica- in, in your libraries or even your application? I guess you could do oh, this too. Literally everything, everything I benchmark. Uh, I, I am a performance freak. <laughs> There's nothing I hate more in the world than uh, losing performance to something a little bit dumb. So I often do benchmarks just as sanity checks, like mm. this thing's going as fast as I think it should be. For some things, it's really important. Um, I'll have unit tests that fail if they run for more than two seconds, you know, things like that, because I have timed criteria. Other ones are a little bit looser. Like in SQLite, I have um, basically, a, a, it's not a unit test, but I'm using a unit test framework. And then I'm running a benchmark inside the unit test framework. And I'm just bashing on the API in a nasty way from multiple threads and making sure that it survives and making sure that it, it completes in a reasonable amount of time. So benchmarking is everywhere. And tools like benchmark.net are super cool for micro benchmarking, we always call it, where like the function you're trying to measure is so small and so fast already that it's really hard to measure. If you have something that's slow, it's really easy to measure. You do a date time in the beginning, you do a date time at the end, and you subtract subtract it to hello you have a benchmark um but if if that time gets really fast then you want to use a tool like uh, benchmark.net but this this all goes along with profiling your code and all that kind of stuff so it's like you create a benchmark you say this thing should be able to run within two seconds and then if it doesn't then you get your profiler out and you start fixing it james i could make a whole living just doing that instead of developing new apps and adding features because that's just i think like a fun kind of addictive part of the job trying to avoid sometimes <laughs> yeah i agree with that i think that i've failed in all aspects to benchmark anything only because (laughs) while i'm a library developer i don't have libraries that necessarily oh let me interrupt okay it's like 
what you're going to say is, if it's fast enough, it's fast enough. Like, <laughs> you only benchmark something when you notice it's not fast enough. So you you were about to say something about your libraries and how they interact with the operating system or something. But I just want to, I want to override you and just say oh. what you're saying is they're fast enough. They're fine. I don't need to benchmark them because you click the button and the thing happens or it's doing a network call and you're really just waiting on the network or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and true. It's like if I was, and it's almost hard to benchmark because I'm ca calling those APIs, right? So I'm calling the app store APIs to do different things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, can I tell you a cool new benchmarker out? Um, yeah. This is for, I, I'm going to get my machine learning into this episode. I'm really excited. A uh, new feature in iOS 16 and Xcode, whatever we're up to. Um, you can take a core ML model and something that was always kind of hard about core ML models, you really never understood how fast it was going to be on the device. You know, it was really hard to translate from whatever GPU you train that model on to like, is this thing going to be at all fast on the device? And uh, Apple's added a really cool feature where you can just uh, open a core ML model in Xcode and click a button and it just runs the model on the device or whatever is connected to your computer and gives you a performance report back. Now, it's not a benchmark because you're not trying to hit a very specific time or maybe you are, but it's not automated, you know, um, but at least it's giving you that report. I guess it's more of a profiler now that I'm talking about I'm talking myself in circles, but at least uh, you get that time of execution that is what you really want to know. Is this model going to run in one second, a half a second, or a quarter of a second? And it'll even tell you um, which parts of the network ran on CPU, GPU, or the um, Apple Neural Engine. Oh, so cool. it's, it's really nice because before that was just a black box. But now Apple's finally given us a way to benchmark it, profile it, and see into the details. Really going to help with app development. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that there's, you know, you're kind of making a good point here. There's different benchmarks for different applications, right? If you are a graphics card, the benchmarks and what you care about are probably different than the benchmarks of your library versus the benchmarks of what you're talking about for machine learning versus the benchmarks for a game engine, for example, yeah. right? And um, drawing to Canvas or doing other things like that. And of course, even different if you're a UI framework, right? At the same time. So I brought that around, Frank, until I did it. <laughs> um, I think those are all different important aspects. The, the, the real world part of any of those things are also different based on the use case, okay? Because in the scenario of the machine learning one, there is a real world um, implication based on those benchmarks, which is that you can process more things faster, which then saves you more money. I think that mm -hmm. makes, is that's correct, right? Um, or makes it possible at all. If you're trying to do like mm -hmm. a video app and it takes five seconds for every frame, it's that video anymore. You know, you, you got to benchmark, benchmark and get it down in speed until it's somewhat real time. Yeah. I like that. That's a, that's a great point. And then if you're like a runtime or a library, you know, your users are going to be using this. You want to make sure that their apps or computation is, is fast. Now, if you're a, a, a graphics card, then you care about, there's a whole bunch of different applications that are important, including running and rasterizing different things for games. So you, as a consumer, you care about those graphics specs because 
you want to shove it into your machine. You want your games to look prettier and run more and faster frames per second is really what you want to get yeah. down to at that point is highest graphics levels, best, you know, yeah, and, FPS as possible. And you have some apps that have to do it in multiple regions. Let me bring up iCircuit. Yeah. <laughs> iCircuit is a simulator and it's a renderer. You know, they're, mm. they're kind of two different things. They share data, obviously. Um, but the simulator has to run at something like 40,000 frames per second. So there is a whole style of a programming that I adopt because that code needs to run faster. 100,000 frames per second, that code needs to run fast. The renderer, the thing that's actually drawing, that also needs to be fast. But relative to the other one, it needs to be 60 frames per second or 120 frames per second or some of these devices even higher. But... Um, <laughs> Even that's hard to achieve, but you you can get these mixed worlds. Like games in general are only trying to hit that 60 frames per second. But then, you know, you might be doing some uh, stock trading, some <laughs> high frequency stock trading, and that mm. needs to be run fast. You might be doing simulations, might be doing neural networks. So even within one app, you have these different time domains. This part should be this fast, that part should be that fast. And then also with the ninth circuit, you have the third time domain, which is the user interface the buttons yeah. and the text boxes and those things run at you know whatever they run at <laughs> whatever yeah. the operating system can whatever's left <laughs> well and that's the most important part that i i think about when i think about performance because the types of apps that i build numbers on a screen they update like every half a second every second <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> my frames per second are like one Point five. That, that, that's that's what I'm going for. Frank is like a single frame yeah. per second. So now there's a lot of there's a lot of logic that's being crunched to make sure that that I'm able to execute my code to make sure that the UI can be updated in that amount of time. Now that's not to say I have other apps where like you're scrolling and you're you're pulling in, you're rendering things, and the framework needs to be fast as well. But to your point, even inside of a of a, a a game or iCircuit or um, even my cycling applications, the there's many different elements that have different types of importance, and the the way and, and the underlying technology that goes about rendering that is going to have different performance implications. So, for example, in your case with iCircuit, um, your are you just using scene scene view? And scene kit? Oh, no. Uh, well, oh, say, sorry. In iCircuit 3D, yes, I am using scene kits, scene view. And that's a renderer that runs at about 60 frames per second. I try to update it about 60 frames per second. Um, but uh, original iCircuit, the 2D one, in the early days, it was released for the, you know, the very first iPad. So it was that iOS 3.2-ish or something like that. Mm. I had a dickens of a time getting any performance out of the renderer. Um, back then, you had two options, OpenGL and Core Graphics, and mm. I couldn't get the quality I wanted out of OpenGL, and Core Graphics was deadly slow. And so I spent a lot of time um, uh, profiling, benchmarking, all the above. A lot of old hacks are still in that code base to make sure it ran smoothly on old iPads and that. These days, now that we're putting M1 processors into iPads, like, well, it's good enough that I can make a 3D version of the app. But I have to say, like, at least for the first few years, uh, the, the rendering engine was a really hard struggle in the app. 
these days, the mobile hardware is so good. <laughs> you can get away with a lot of uh, bad code. <laughs> well, and the renderers under the hood and the frameworks in which you're building have also improved too. So you have to then think to yourself, well, how many objects do I need on my screen? How fast do I need it to refresh? And can I achieve that performance? And then there are the other parts of your application, let's say the settings screen, where you can buy upgrades or you can, <laughs> you know, backup data. You're like, all right, cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how important is that part that it actually, you know, is the most crazy performant benchmarked high end thing in the entire world? Or like, it works as like as a user, because yeah. because to me, when I think of UI, I, I you know, I'd, even though I come from a video game background, our goal is 60 frames per second. That was mm -hmm. always our goal is run at 60 frames per second and you're good. Um, you know, and you want to lock it. And the thing, too, with with engines and frameworks, you want to lock it in at a specific thing. You don't want dips. If your game mm -hmm. or your your engine in I circuit runs at 60 frames per second, run it at 60 frames per second and it can't yeah. dip. If it is gonna, if you can't achieve 60, lock it at 30. It's better to have a constant <laughs> frame frame rate than non-constant, right? So that's when people see hiccups in UI or other things like that. That's what's happening is like there's a delay in the rendering loop, and you don't want that. You don't want these hiccups that are happening, even in normal UI. But when I think of my benchmarking of my user interface, for example, in the my cadence app or the my stream timer app. I go, does when I click a button, does it do the thing in the amount of time that I would expect for it to do the thing, which is near in, you know, within X milliseconds, pretty much, right? I click a button and it should react pretty much immediately. That, that's what users expect is when I click something, something happens. And if that happens, then to me, mission accomplished. I actually don't care if something is capable of 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 rendering 5 billion graphical elements on the screen at one point if for my application what matters is x you know x thing because what it comes down to is what you just said was it opengl was it core graphics now is it skia is it something else is what is the best tool for the job for your application type and in that instance those benchmarks are good indicators of what the thing can do at some predetermined thing that somebody created, but does it actually apply to your running application? And I think that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's that classic magic trick, too, of um, it, 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 your operation doesn't have to complete immediately, but you have to update the user interface immediately. And then mm -hmm. people can handle a tiny little spinner for a second or two. You know, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I think there is one distinction to be made. I agree with everything you just said, but of course I'm going to disagree now because that's what I do. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's just a small distinction. And that comes into actual energy use. Let's take the simplest app I could ever think of. It's just a sing It just displays a single number on one screen. Simplest app ever, and it updates that number once a second. There is a difference between an app that uses next to no CPU and then on the one second dot does a little burst of CPU and then goes back to idle mm. versus an app that's cranking on the CPU and just barely managing to update that number once a second. They have comp the user interface is identical, 
there's a number that's updating once a second, but the power usage is completely different between the two. Obviously, you want to be the app that's sitting there idle all the time, except for those brief bursts where you actually have to do something, and then you should go back to idle. There are a lot of apps and a lot of game engines. I won't name names, game engines, but there are a lot of them out there that idle at like 30% CPU usage that I mm-hmm. absolutely cannot stand. If there's nothing being updated on the screen or if that those updates could be happening on the GPU, then there, there should be no effort being done there. So I will agree with you. The absolute most important thing is to understand your time domains, understand which parts of your apps need to be responsive and which parts don't, apply the right technology and all that. But this is where benchmarking and profiling are helpful. I do think you, as a mobile app developer, have to consider energy usage. And when you plug in uh, a profiler to your app, your app had better be using zero CPU the majority of the time, or else uh, people are not going to want it on their mobile devices. No, I think that's a great point uh, in general. And it, like I hadn't really even thought about that too much because I'm just like, oh, I'm just writing logic. I'm updating different information, X, Y, Z. And I, funnily enough that you mentioned this about doing this, I have to, I have to do this for one of my apps, which is also an app that updates a number on the screen, but it's my stream timer. So I actually had somebody <laughs> write in that says, Hey, your app is using a little bit too much CPU that I would oh. like. Yeah. Oh. Shouldn't be using any. <laughs> well, if you're not running anything, it definitely is running zero. So if you, I'm running the app right now, mm. right? And I'm not doing anything and it's sitting uh-huh. at zero. So I think that's good. Yeah, I would say zero is always a good number. Mm-hmm. If I do start a timer, things are happening, Frank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it does it does use quite a bit of CPU. I don't know what uh, let's the measure. Let's... I, I'm going to begin the timer here. We we can tell if I start hiccuping or something like that. Yeah. Let's see. I'm at 1.4 percent, three percent. Nope. I'm going to say this is fine. Yeah. Are you seeing anything higher than three percent? Oh, I'm at like 10 percent on Windows. Oh boy. What but, are you doing in that code? <laughs> but I'm on a CPU that is also really really old. So. I don't but, know. Count, counter butt butt. <laughs> Your app doesn't do anything. It does. <laughs> it shouldn't oh, wow. be taking any CPU. It's it right. Be, it should set a timer and then on the timer, it should go write a file and then go back to sleep. <laughs> That's what it does. Well, there's a timer that runs. I don't know. It's running too much. I don't know. I'll have to take a look at the code. It know. might be, you know, I used to have a different timer that was doing stuff um, in, yeah. in the UI. If I run multiple timers, yeah, that, this thing actually does use a lot of CPU. I'm almost at 50%. I, I, I'm going to agree with your customer without yeah. knowing anything more. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, your timers need some work, James. Yeah. Okay. Well, Fine we'll, we'll the ne- next episode, <laughs> we'll do some uh, benchmarking and profiling of your code. And that's the area that I really struggle with, right? Because I can build the app and I've done the things, but it it goes down to the point, which is like, okay, now at this point, what's the acceptable level of, of it, right? Your acceptable level on your Mac, at least on your M1, which I haven't run it on, but it's like, Hey, this is good. Right. Where mine over here on windows, like, Oh, okay. Like I'm probably okay over here. And you know, um, this is good. Like I'm, I'm looking at my CPU usage and I, you know, I'm like, yeah, it's probably fine if I'm, I'm doing other stuff well, for other people, it's more important. Right. So how do I even figure out how to debug that or 
profile. I think that's a good live stream for us to do together, actually. Oh, yeah. Probably. I, I'd try. I'd hope yeah. we'd have success. Um, I'll just state general rules of thumb here, though. If your app isn't doing anything, it should be using 0% CPU. I, I've come down pretty hard on that. I used to, back in the old days, I used to go around to people's Windows computers and clean them out. There's a mm. great tool for it. Uh, Sys Internals Process Explorer. Yep. And yeah, so every Windows user should be using that. I wish we had something nearly as good on Mac. Uh, there's a column that's not on there by default. Uh, what you want to put up there is your context switch delta. That is the column you want to look at on Windows. That is what's eating all your performance on Windows. And if you see any app context uh context switch delta-ing, which I'm pretty sure your app is going to come up as, mm -hmm. uh, you know that's a troublemaker. And what that means is your app is getting paged in and out of the process table. So the app is running, going to sleep, running, going to sleep, running, going to sleep. An app should be asleep all the time, run when the user touches a button or starts editing in a text field or a timer goes off yeah. the rest of the time your app should be using zero so what i do i could i just keep um it's probably not great on windows but on mac i just keep activity monitor up and always in the icon view and i'm always watching my apps um just kind of passively and when they're running and doing good work I'll, i allow them to get up to 100 percent or a 10,000 percent cpu that's fine if it's doing a job and i want that job to get done but if i'm not touching the app it, it had better be darn near zero now in the case of iCircuit, it will never get to zero um even when it's in the background it's simulating the circuit and mm. that's going to require some cpu but you yeah. can always just close the circuit or pause it yeah it makes sense. It's like for me, I'm definitely doing a bunch of stuff and then writing to disk. So it's never going to be 100% zero, but it should kind of spike to zero pretty frequently yeah, because it should average to zero for zero. you. <laughs> yeah, it should. It's not doing that much. I, I'm curious. You're yeah, on a good. sorry, you're on a one second drum beat, right? So your your CPU should just be that uh, a one second spike. Or, yeah, sorry, a, a, an interval, an infinitely small spike at a one second interval. Yeah, I think we're at not that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I think that's the I think that's the the question. I'm also very fascinated to go back in time and figure out, hey, did um, did I ever enter again, if I was benchmarking, getting back to this performance stuff, if I benchmark it, then what happens if I did I increase or did I decrease? Right. Because yeah. back in the day, my application was very, very simple. And what has happened, by the way, when I think about these real world things is I've added a lot of more complexity to this timer. I've added a lot of different <laughs> switches. I know it sounds silly, but I've added like these switches and this thing and this other thing, you know, and, um, and bookmarking and all this other stuff yeah. and calling these calls. And that happens like all the time. So the real question becomes, you know, did I, did I introduce something that is, you know, spinning threads basically, you know, and that's the real question at the end of the day. I'm fascinated, Frank. I am yeah. Fascinated. And it's tricky. So, um, we're this far in, but I should probably 
define my terms a little better. Mm -hmm. Bench benchmarking, I feel like, is when you measure the overall performance of one activity. Profiling is when you measure the subcomponents of that activity and see how long those are taking so that you can take action and fix things. Mm -hmm. And they have to go hand in hand because the worst kind of performance work to do is when you do a whole bunch of work and then it's not actually any faster. Um, or you do a whole bunch of work and you forgot to measure it before you did that work and you can't tell if it's any faster. So you always do want to have some kind of benchmark around. And it, I, I, I would keep them, you know, even if you don't run them all the time, even if you don't run them in CI, I would create a directory called benchmarks. And if you needed the benchmark once, you're probably going to need it again, or you're going to want that project around just to remind yourself of how to write benchmarks and things like that. Uh, so I do recommend getting those in there and measuring, especially if you're about to start any major performance work, you need those measurements. Otherwise, yeah. you're just fooling yourself. I love it. I love it. Well, funnily enough, Frank and I had a completely different topic for today to talk about. Maybe we'll do a performance V2 because I do want to get into some <laughs> of the crazy stuff, but I will say I would do want, I do, I, I like how this went into a real world example of like things that I need to do. So I, what I want to do is I want to <laughs> come back, maybe not next week, but maybe the week after whenever it is and do sort of an update on this, but maybe next week we will also talk about some framework performance stuff. Um, our good friend, Jonathan Peppers just uh, put out a performance thing. That's where we got in this thing, but mm. I feel like that's a whole another episode, Frank. Somehow we're 32 minutes in. Yeah, I don't I don't think we could do yeah. it justice, but just just to leave it dangling out there. So Jonathan Peppers uh, wrote up a bunch, the same app and a whole bunch of platforms as a benchmark. So we can measure roughly the same app on a whole bunch of different platforms and learn some lessons and all that kind of stuff. So I'd almost consider he's trying to introduce or people have begun to introduce a new industrial benchmark. And I can't wait to see how it progresses yeah. out of the community. <laughs> yeah. So if y'all are interested in that, let us know. Go to mergeconflict.fm, hit that contact button, reach out to us on Twitter. Maybe we'll have Peppers on as a guest. We don't have guests on often, but I feel like this one we might. You would be fun. I think so. Let's do it. I'll, I'll reach out to you. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. If you have tips, tricks, recommendations, let us know. We would love that. Reach out to us at Twitter, at James Montemagno, at Proclarum, at Merge Conflict FM. But that's going to do it for this week. Of course, we do have a Patreon bonus subscriber episodes that we put out every single week. We did video format this week. I had terrible audio because I was on my webcam uh, microphone instead of my normal microphone. I blame Frank. Forgot to tell me, but I fixed it, so it won't be an issue. But if you're interested <laughs> in supporting the show further, besides just listening, that's enough support for us. If you want to go further on it, let us know. Become a Patreon subscriber as low as two bucks a month. Helps the show, helps us pay our fees, and keeps us going. Keeps it so Frank can sleep at night with his built-in tiny little air conditioning unit that he just, it's a fan. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's a wee. fan. It's a yeah. wee AC. <laughs> a wee AC to keep him cool in these hot months. Um, Go to mergeconflict.fm. There's a Patreon button. You can go over there. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff there. That's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.